and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comments section of my Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. Okay, so here we are, first week of December, and um, I just posted a podcast this week about my whole beginning to end, how I got out of Scientology. So for those of you who have been waiting for a Scientology video, uh, you've now got one on my podcast, so go ahead and check that out if you want to. It is uh, the first time I have said certain things about certain parts of my story and have explained the whole thing literally from the beginning all the way to the end. Um, most of the times that I have talked about parts of that story or, or a bulk of that story, it's been in a conference or, or public speaking or setting where I'm trying to make some other point. I'm talking about myself, but I'm just answering some random question or I'm, uh, it's part of a larger narrative of some other point that I'm making. So this was the time when I finally said, okay, let's just, you know, do it all about me and just get this thing out there. So anyway, that's there. And also... This Thursday, I posed this last Thursday. I posted my final statement on conspiracy theories. I don't really expect to revisit that territory again, um, at least not in a in a wide way like I did uh, with that video. It's a long video. There's a lot to it. I did a lot of research in order to put it together. Uh, I learned a lot. I actually changed my mind about a number of things along the way about conspiracy theorists. Um, I had questions and 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 thinking about. Uh, for example, whether there were um, issues of clinical anxiety or clinical paranoia connected with conspiracy theories, and I found out that uh, that's pretty rare, actually, not really the case. And, uh, and it kind of set me on a whole new line of research, and it was quite interesting putting the whole thing together. So I hope you'll take some time to check that out, because it was quite a, an exercise in critical thinking for me. And I put it together so that anyone, this isn't just about... It's, the, the video's not for people who believe in conspiracies. It's for all the rest of us. <laughs> so that's, that's the, the target audience for that video. All right, and the last thing I wanted to say is we are rolling into the holiday season, so I would actually be remiss if I did not mention that the um, shirts and, and logos and, and hats and, and cups and things that are available through my um, what I've been branded as critical merchandise is still available for anybody if you're interested in those as Christmas gifts for people. The link, as always, is in the description section of every one of my videos under um, uh, the critical merchandise. It's, uh, there's, a, there's a website I put together at Spreadshirt. It's uh, shop.spreadshirt.com slash Chris Shelton. And with that being said, let's now get on with your uh, questions. John Odysseus. It must have been odd for you to transition from life in Scientology to normal life. If I could ask an odd question, did it feel secluded, for lack of a better word, when you initially left? I couldn't imagine too many people around any given person could relate and bring comfort to somebody leaving a cult. Yeah, the first questions this week uh, on the show are all uh, just from the last couple days. Uh, some of these are in response to that um, sort of biography video or podcast that I just put out. Uh, so I thought, uh, since there were fresh questions from, you know, some of what I was talking about there, I thought I would take those up this week to sort of, uh, you know, give some closure on that. And on this particular one, um, yes, I first, when I, when, okay, here's how this went down. When I first went down the internet rabbit hole and in two, and early 2013, and learned all the awful, horrible truths about Scientology, I did feel very, very alone. 
I felt very angry. I felt very betrayed. Um, I was I was furious, um, but I also was was very confused uh, about what to do, how to proceed. Uh, I was in this relationship with a Scientologist. Her whole family were Scientologists. I wanted to get connected with the Twin Cities Church of Scientology. I planned on making a life in Twin Cities. Um, and suddenly all of that was thrown, you know, into serious doubt. And I was very, very, you know, on very rocky ground because I didn't know what was going to happen now. I mean, I had just learned that 27 years of my life was a total waste. And not only a total waste, but that I had been actively taken advantage of and used and, of course, abused. I mean, there were years of abuse. So I'd only been able to reconcile all that abuse because I thought that it had been worth it because of the, the cause that I was fighting for or working for. And turns out, no, all of that was just total nonsense. So, yeah, it was pretty, you know, I definitely felt adrift. Um, I did not find myself getting into a depressive state, particularly. I was more of uh, a fight back. I wanted to do something about this. You know, it really, really provoked my sense of justice um, for, you know, which I, I would imagine should be obvious reasons. So I, so I found outlets to start speaking out on right away because some of those outlets had been where I'd gotten a lot of this truth from. I mean, the former, the ex-Scientology message board, uh, you know, Tony Ortega's blog, I know I just, uh, Mike Rinder's blog, I just set up an anonymous account, an anonymous name, I think I called myself uh, uh, Galactic Patrol or something, and on, on, uh, on the ex-Scientology message board, I started posting as, uh, I hate duplicity, that was my name, <laughs> you know, because I hated duplicity, right? I didn't, I was very upset. Um, and I didn't really have anybody to talk to except people online. And I was having interactions with people online. And that was helpful, but it wasn't, it wasn't really fully what I needed. And I don't think that it would really be fully what anybody needs coming out of a situation like that. You need some human contact with people who are going to understand what's what. Well, I stumbled into that. It was only a few months later, maybe four or five months later, um, I think around August or so, that I discovered, you know, critical thinking and skepticism and the skeptic community. And I was in Minnesota. I was in Minneapolis. So I found uh, skeptics in Minneapolis who got together for social drinking and talking. And I started going to those meetups. And, uh, I, and the first time I was there, I got in touch with the guy who was the organizer for the meetup, Travis. He was a wonderful man. And he and I started talking, and suddenly I said, yeah, I used to be in Scientology. I just said, I just said, well, here's my backstory, because all these people, you know, a lot of them had come out of religion of one kind or another, and I said, well, I got a doozy for you. And, and I told him, you know, I started telling him my history, and he just loved it. I mean, he was, he, was in, he was just enraptured by the story, and he had never really interacted one-on-one -on -one with Scientologists. And neither had anybody else. I mean, he was telling people, this guy used to be a Scientologist until like a couple months ago, you know. And, uh, and I, um, I, I felt comforted by that. I felt like, you know, okay, good. This is actually something that I'm, I'm getting a warm reception here by people who understand what I went through. And they did. They really did understand. Uh, they didn't understand Scientology at all. 
But they understood that sense of betrayal. They understood that sense of, of being adrift, of not having answers after all those years of feeling like you do have all the answers, you know? And what that feels like, this emptiness, this void that occurs inside you and, and you want to fill it with something else. But I was loath to go join some other cult or some other group or go, go try to go find some other religious spiritual answer because I was like, whoa, I don't want this to happen to me again. So the skeptics were, uh, I don't know, I just, for me at that time in that place, that was the perfect place for me to end up. And I made a bunch of friends that some I still have to this day, even though I'm not still living in Minneapolis, uh, I'm still Facebook friends with some of these folks. And they're, they're great. They're wonderful people. And I, you know, I, I hope that, you know, at some point I can go back there and, and meet up with some of them just to hang out. Um, and of course, then after, you know, things died down, I got declared a suppressive person. Um, I started speaking out, then I moved here to Denver, and the first thing I did was connect up with the uh, atheist skeptic, you know, community here. And again, thinking that these would be people who would understand where I was coming from, and sure enough, they did. And, um, and I've made good friends here. So, uh, so there are people, even if you don't have the commonality of Scientology as a common background, you can still relate with and connect up with people who who come from disparate and different backgrounds, right? And I think that this has been proven out by the number of people who have come to my channel from the Jehovah's Witness community, uh, from the Mormon community, from the, you know, Gothard's community. I mean, these, these things I've, I've worked to expose and talk about. And there's a lot more to come, you know, in the future on all of this. So I think the more that us survivors of these cultic groups you know, work together and, and be there for each other, no matter what groups we came from, the more, the, the faster and more um, effective our, our recovery process will be. And that's really, in the end, what this should really all be about. So um, it does, it definitely, definitely helps. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's a certain, there are certain things that you just can't communicate about and expect to be really understood unless you're talking to a former member of the group you were part of. I mean, there are specific things that go on in these groups that are ultra-specific to the groups. Um, you know, Scientology doesn't have anything against uh, blood transfusions, for example, but the Jehovah's Witnesses do. So, you know, I can't totally relate on all that kind of stuff or, you know, but I can certainly, of course, have empathy for somebody who's lost somebody because of that. But you know what I'm saying, there's, there's some specific things that are a little harder to relate to than others. But generally speaking, um, I have found that uh, people I connect up with are very understanding, very helpful, very compassionate. And that has been a real lifesaver for me uh, in a couple times where I've hit some real lows in the course of the last few years. Um, it's, been, it's been nice to have those, those connections to, to connect up, to reach out to. Martin Williams. Do you ever get nervous about the road your life has taken and stop reflecting on it? It's an interesting question, Martin. I guess what you mean by that is, uh, have I ever looked at, you know, where I'm going, what I'm doing with my life uh, since leaving Scientology, and am I nervous about it, or do I ever, um, you know, do I ever stop and, and, and smell the roses and take a look at what's happening? And, uh, and if that's, I think that, that's how I'm interpreting your question. And... Um, and the answer would be that, uh, yeah, I do that all the time. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a fairly introspective person. Um, you know, I, I, I know I look like a, like, a, like a big extrovert. I talk a lot and I, and I use my hands and I, you know, and I'm loud and boisterous and, and sometimes I'm, you know, even, even domineering in, in conversation. 
Um, but I don't feel like it. <laughs> I don't feel like a, a, a big extrovert, you know. Over the last few years, I have, I have done a lot of inward looking at things. And sometimes I have um, almost, you know, sometimes on an almost daily basis, I will just kind of stop and look around and, and see where I'm at and what's going on, you know. I, I, I look at my um, beautiful wife. I look at my uh, car. I look at our, our cat. I look at where I've come to, what I'm doing, what I've accomplished, uh, what I want to accomplish still, but, you know, but mainly looking at, you know, where I've gotten to. And I compare it to where I was and what I used to do and the things I used to dream about and think about. You know, when I was in the Sea Org, it was a luxury to go get a Coke. You know, it was a luxury to uh, have a few hours off of work. And you, and you were never really off work. You were never really not thinking about what was going on around you with your job in the Sea Org. Right? You're just, you are your post. You're not, it's, not a, it's not a thing you're assigned to do and that's just your job and you go do it for eight hours a day and you kind of put up with it because you need the paycheck. It's way different from that. You know, it's a commitment. It's a lifestyle. It is, it is a, a full life commitment, right? Um, you don't expect to ever retire. You don't expect to ever stop doing what you're doing. So there is no end in sight. There's no retirement coming up. There's no like break you're going to get. You're just going to keep going and you're going to keep going and going and going. And you hope that in the course of doing that, you will get up the bridge to total freedom as a, as a Scientologist and you'll get all this wonderful skill and ability and, and awareness and everything will be wonderful. Um, but the breaks are few and far between. And so I found myself as a Sea Org member dreaming, my, my dreams, my aspirations were to have a, a, a well-cooked steak meal. <laughs> you know, that was the height of luxury for me. That used to represent a, a well-made, amazing meal represented to me the height of what I could expect out of life. You know, to me, rich people were people who got to eat really good food. And I'm not a foodie. I mean, you know, I'm talking here about food, but I'm just trying to represent that my goals were not star high. You know, I didn't have these huge expectations when I was in the Sea Org about what kind of what kind of luxuries and 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 finer things of life I would ever have available to me. So these were these were the things I used to dream about and think about. You know, go. I wish I could go see a movie this Saturday. Wouldn't that be or Sunday when I can get some time off? Wouldn't that be amazing? Maybe I can see this movie this time. Or, you know, like I said, a really nice meal or something. And that was, that was as good as my life was going to get, you know, because uh, I was dedicating all this time to the Sea Org. So now I say all that so that I can juxtapose it with how my life is now. I can go out and get a steak anytime I want. I go to movies all the time. I, I watch movies here in my home. I spend time on my computer. I write. I play Magic the Gathering with my wife. I, you know, we, we, we play with the cat. We do all these fun things that I never even imagined I would have the time or luxury or resources to be able to do. So I reflect on that constantly because that's still, in many, many ways, even though it's been a, a few years now, in so many ways, this is all still new for me. You know, maybe it's not for other people. I mean, I'm 48 years old. I'm about to turn 49 this month. I've, I've lived a lot of life, and I should be 
you know, kind of more acclimated to this by now, but you know, I've got 27 years of, of this nonsense lifestyle that I lived. And it wasn't like when I was on staff, things, you know, in Santa Barbara, that things were a whole lot better because I didn't have any money and I didn't have any time when I was there. So that kind of is a lot of the same as how my life was when it was in the Sea Org, you know. So, um, so that's been, you know, how I've been approaching things. And, and of course, there's all the stuff that goes on up here, too. And, um, and I think I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in, the, in another question in this episode here. But, um, but that's what I can say about that. And uh, I, I do, I, I, in terms of getting nervous about the road my life has taken, I do get a little nervous sometimes about where it's going to go exactly. I don't have it all figured out. Um, I've got some basic guidelines of what I want to do and where I'm going. And, um, and I, I, I think I'm on that road, but sometimes I get a little nervous about, well, am I, you know, am I going to make it? Is it really going to go? Is this going to happen? Or, um, you know, where am I going with all this? But, uh, but for now, I've got this channel. I've got these books I want to write. I've got these videos I want to produce. I've got a game plan to do that. And that's pretty much where I'm at right now. So thanks for asking about that, Martin. And I hope I didn't bore you too much with uh, that very extended answer to your very short question. Lisa Kennedy, take what you want and leave the rest. I would really like you to talk about the cost to your personal spirit and how you were able to overcome it and be the open, sweet person you are. I can tell you are a very caring person and being that that was discouraged, how did you reconnect with the sensitive, loving side of yourself? Also, what was it like to be the master of your own time after years of being controlled for so long? Okay, so on this one, I, you know, pretty much everything I just said applies to this question too, but I will add to this that um, the process of reacclimating to society and learning about life in the real world versus life in the Scientology world has been one of softening my approach to people and things. Um, I didn't realize, and I still to this day don't realize, uh, people have to tell me or remind me from time to time, that I can be pretty forceful. Um, I can come across very strongly. I can be very dominating in conversation. I have a loud, booming voice. I don't mind voicing my opinions about things. I don't want to fight with people. I'm not like a pugnacious, let's, let's debate, let's fight, let's, let's have it out right now kind of person. I don't particularly back off from those con kind of conversations, but I... Um, but I'm not a kind of person who wants to go engage in public debates or, or, or stuff like that. I'm not, that doesn't particularly appeal to me. Um, so I've come to, you know, over this time, over these last six years, I have reconnected with a lot of my emotions. I've talked about how in Scientology they suppress, you learn to suppress your emotions. But guess what? They're still there. They're not going anywhere. And so I've had to learn to deal with those. And that has been a real you know, uh, sort of figure out how to, how to do this from, you know, from nothing really, because in Scientology, especially in the Sea Org, your emotions are, are, are always take a back seat. They're always unimportant. Your ideas about things are unimportant. How you feel about things is very unimportant. And so I, I have not wanted to pendulum swing over too far on that, where it's now all about my feelings and all about, you know, uh, but, um, but I did have to learn how to reprocess, how to process grief, uh, loss, you know, anguish, upset. And then I've come to realize that there is, you know, periods of, 
I wouldn't say fully depressive episodes, but there's certainly little periods of depression. There's periods of some, some PTSD, you know, kind of kicking my ass sometimes. Um, that's gotten less over the years, significantly less. I used to have nightmares all the time about Scientology and being back in the Sea Org and trapped and stuff like that. I don't really have those as often. It comes up from time to time. Um, so my, so my effort more recently has been to try to soften my approach, listen more than I talk. Um, kind of hard to do here on the Q&A show, but I try to do that socially. Try to pay more attention to the per people that I'm listening to than, than myself. Um, you know, the, the other challenge of that, with, of course, is that my backstory is most of the time, or some of the time at least, uh, you know, the most interesting thing in the room. So people want to hear what I have to say and they want to ask me a bunch of questions. And so then I end up, you know, kind of, again, dominating conversations that I didn't go into the room thinking that's what I was going to do, but it happens. So, um, so, I'm, so I try to, you know, kind of, kind of chill out a bit. And, uh, and I don't know that I'm succeeding very well at that, but I'm trying. So, um, so that's, that's kind of what I can say in answer to this question. I don't, you know, I don't know that I ever lost my sensitive side particularly. I mean, being in the Sea Org was a lot of work, but I was only doing it because I was trying to help people. So I, I was always interested in, you know, in, in other people and helping them. Um, so I don't, I don't think I lost that or that that ever really got suppressed or, or kicked or down or anything. Um, I've just sort of redirected my efforts now as to what, how I'm going about helping people. So anyway, there you go. Claire Carlson. I recently watched Leah's show with Valerie Haney, and I was wondering about exit interviews. Are all exit interviews unique to the person leaving, or are they all the same? It seems like they often ask about David Miscavige and abuse. The church brought out her answers to the exit interview to try to show she's a liar, but I think it makes the church look guilty. Thoughts? Okay, well, I had an exit interview. I think everybody who leaves the Sea Org does. It's videoed. Mine was videoed. Valerie's was videoed. I mean, uh, up, what they do uplines and what they do where I was in Los Angeles is pretty much the same procedure. I did not have a lawyer in the room with me, though. I had another Sea Org member there. And it was in a security room where there was a camera, and, and it was all obviously being recorded. And there was piles of papers and initials on every page and you know, I, what, I, what I remember from the process was that there was a lot to sign that it had to do with uh, holding the, the, not holding the church liable for anything ever uh, under any circumstances. No, neither me nor my descendants or relatives or friends or contacts or anybody could ever do anything against the church for any reason. No medical condition I had was ever going to be able to go back to the church. No um, information, no confidential information I had ever read was uh, I could never talk about any of that, stuff like that, right? And they paid me 500 bucks for that, which is, you know, nothing. It, it, it's, it's a non-binding agreement as far as anybody is really concerned. And you learn that once you get out and you get away from the clutches of the church, you find out that, you know, you just got taken for a ride. And, and the very last exit interview is their last effort to intimidate the hell out of you so you'll keep your mouth shut. That's really what the whole thing is designed to do. I mean, you put people on camera, you make them sign all these heavy legal documents. I mean, it's, it's clearly an effort to intimidate. And that is what it is, you know. Um, I think that they are customized to the degree that there might be sensitive information the person might be aware of or know. 
and they're going to want to make sure that that person specifically can't talk about those things or something. But otherwise, I think it's a very general process that they do, and they probably do it all around the world the same way. Um, you, you, very, you don't find a lot of variations in Scientology. They're pretty, they're pretty standardized in their approach. So that's what I can say about that. Gary Page. There are free online courses on the Scientology website. Are these any different from the courses with the same names that you pay for at an org? What are the dangers of enrolling while even using a fake identity? Okay, so uh, online courses of Scientology are called extension courses, and those are, the, those are probably about the same or similar to services you can buy in the church where you can do a course at home. They have these paper handouts, and, you, and, and they have, uh, uh, you buy the book, and you buy this little pack of, of questions about the book, and after every chapter, you fill in the questionnaires, and you send them in, and somebody goes over it and grades it, and make sure that you answer the questions somewhat sequitur and decently. And then you get, you know, through the extension course, and then you're given a little tiny extension course certificate, which doesn't really count for much of anything. Um, the basics courses, all the basic books can be covered that way. But on the uh, website, on the Scientology website, there are a bunch of other extension courses having to do with the basics of Scientology. And th those revolve around the Scientology handbook. That's the series of videos I'm doing, by the way. I'm doing a video on each of those chapters of the Scientology Handbook. I've covered the ARC Triangle, the Emotional Tone Scale is coming next. I've covered uh, um, Study Tech. I've covered uh, um, the Eight Dynamics, right? So those, there's going to be a video on every one of those chapters. So, uh, so if you really want the straight dope on that information and the pros and cons of it, you should just watch my Basics of Scientology series, and I'm, and I'm going to continue making those videos until I get all those chapters done. Uh, and that's, you know, I, I wanted to get that done this year, but, you know, time just is not the same as it used to be when I was in the Sea Org anymore. Uh, so it's just taking me longer to get things done than I, than I thought it would, because I'm still, in many ways, I still think in Sea Org time. <laughs> I know, it's, but I do. Um, okay, so as far as the um, enrolling, as far as any dangers of enrolling, if you give Scientology your name, address, and phone number, you're going to hear from them for the rest of your life unless you threaten legal action or start, you know, taking, you know, extreme countermeasures to get your name off their mailing lists. You don't want that. You just don't. I'm telling you, they're never going to stop sending you stuff. And they'll call you, and they will try to get you to come into your local Church of Scientology and do real courses, not just the online courses. And they're relentless about it, and they don't give up because they don't have anything else to do all day but try to get people like you into their orgs and onto services, paying them lots and lots of money. So I don't recommend signing up for any of that. And if you use a fake identity, they're not going to, you know, I don't know, they're not going to skip trace you. Um, you know, by your IP address or something. They're not that desperate. So, sure, you could sign up anonymously and go through their courses, but why? <laughs> you know, uh, it's not like the information is particularly valuable or helpful or useful in day-to-day in, in -day life compared to other places you could get information on those subjects of human interaction, communication, study, etc. There's lots of other sources of places to get information that doesn't have all the curves and, and minefields and, and, and traps that, that exist in the Scientology information. So, um, so I, you know, that's why I don't endorse all that stuff. So I, anyway, I hope you 
uh, avoid that and don't get into that. But um, but if you do, well, you know, the worst that will happen pretty much is Scientology will send you mail for the rest of your life. Whoa, okay, it's time for Flash Answers. Ms. Nanya, I would love to know how many who work in the SO end up in some kind of fugue state due to being overworked. Okay, thanks for the question. I think this comes out of what I was talking about in my podcast where I, you know, kind of got into these sort of crazy places um, as a result of the pressures and demands from my Sea Org life. Um, and I would say quite a few Sea Org members uh, get to that place at one point or another. I mean, you know, we, uh, Hubbard didn't develop this introspection rundown for no reason at all. People in the Sea Org are under a great deal of pressure, and, um, and that is dealt with in Scientology very, very poorly. It's not, it's, you know, there's not a lot of compassion or empathy in Scientology. And, uh, and so, you know, it becomes rather problematic for people who, who have that happen to them. And there's a lot of people that that happens to. I, I've, I've met many, many, many of them, interacted with them over the years in Scientology and the Sea Org, and, uh, and it's, not, it's not a fun thing. So, um, so I know I wasn't the only one who experienced the sorts of things that I described uh, in that podcast. Mark P. Have you ever been contacted independently by two under-the-radar Scientologists who are wanting advice on how to tell the other they want out, i.e., Bob and Mary are married, and neither knows the other feels the same way, and both have been watching your videos without the other knowing. No, Mark, that would be a lot of fun if something like that happened, but it hasn't. The only time I know that that happened to somebody was with uh, Laura DiCrescenzo, who recently got a settlement on a, on a case that she had brought against Scientology and really did a great job with that. And, uh, and uh, she, years ago, when she had gotten out of the Sea Org but was still a Scientologist, was living with her mother, and they were both on the computer looking at anti-Scientology stuff, and neither one of them knew that they were both doing that. So that's the only time I've heard about an in-house, you know, situation like that, but it hasn't come across my plate. Laura Carson. Are there any statistics on what percent of Sea Org members have left? Well, the only statistical information I have was compiled by somebody years ago who put together a list of all the people who had left, and who uh, knew about Scientology's uh, census figures, so to speak. And the numbers that came out of that were um, only, out of every five people who joined the Sea Org, only one is still in. So I don't know statistically how that is represented in a percentage or something, but uh, for every one Sea Org member who's in right now, there's five people walking around who are no longer in the Sea Org but used to be. Uh, that's, that's, the, that's, that's how it was communicated to me. So um, that's all I know about that. Okay, everybody, so that is our show for this week. Thank you very much for coming around and listening and watching and listening to me ramble on like I do. I uh, really, really appreciate your viewership and your support. Uh, so go ahead and leave any questions, comments, or feedback in the comment section below, and I will see them and add your questions to my question queue. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.